Hello, podcast listener. The App Guy podcast. Every Sunday and Thursdays. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. The App Guy Podcast. And now, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Kemp. I'm the App Guy, and it's my job to take you on a journey with lots of different guests that we get on the show. So if you're an app developer, a business owner, an entrepreneur, just someone interested in apps, or if you're location independent, Nomad, whatever your walk of life, this is the podcast for you. I love this podcast because I do get to meet a lot of different guests. And let me just set it up for the next guest. I'm what you would deem a digital nomad, and that's because I spend time in different parts of the world. I've just returned from four months in Dubai, and I know that there are listeners out there who are also in the same situation. If you're developing apps especially, you can do that pretty much anywhere with an internet connection and your computer. So for all you location-independent people, this is a great episode that we've got lined up. And it's because we have a tax expert, someone who can really guide us on tax and tax as a location-independent expats. So if you're based in the US or the UK, or Europe, you know, this is a good podcast for you. So I wanted to dig into this subject a little bit more, and that's where let me introduce the guest that we have on today, uh, David McKeegan. David is the co-founder of Greenback Tax Services, and, you know, this is the best bit. He's based in Bali. So welcome, David, to the App Guy podcast. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me on the show. So, David, I'm really jealous of your location. I'm currently here in the UK. It's really cold and wet and miserable. And <laughs> you are in sunny Bali. So perhaps you can start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in such a cool location. Sure. Um, well, my wife and I are originally from New York. And uh, we left New York back in 2002 and we moved to Barcelona, Spain, uh, where we did our MBAs. And then after that, we moved over to London and we worked in London for, uh, I was working for Bank of Scotland and Carrie was working for Barclays. And we did that for a bunch of years. And when we decided we wanted to start having a family, we started thinking about you know what the lifestyle would be like and where we wanted to do it and everything like that. And started coming to the realization that Working for a big company, uh, doing 60 hours a week for a big bank or something like that uh, was going to not be the best lifestyle. Uh, you know, you're not going to spend as much time with your kids. You're not going to be able to see every school show and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so we started coming up with different ideas to start businesses and uh, eventually settled on helping Americans who live overseas do their U.S. taxes. Uh, the, you know, the U.S. is one of the only countries in the world 
that taxes based on nationality as opposed to uh, you know taxes people within its borders. So you know the six or seven million people that live outside the U.S. Uh, but who carry U.S. passports or green cards uh, still need to file taxes each year. Yes, David. I'm thinking of that example. It was about a few years ago when Facebook IPO'd, and uh, there was one of the founders of uh, Facebook. He denounced his uh, U.S. citizenship to go and live in Singapore. I think uh, specifically that was probably to get around the tax and. I don't think he'd been in the U.S. for a while anyway. Um, but it does sound like a bit of a crazy system that the U.S. have for taxing their citizens. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about that. Sure. It, yeah, the U.S. tax code is tremendous. Uh, I believe it's up to 70,000 pages now. Um, so, you know, we just we're in a very small niche of that you know, tax code, uh, which deals with people that live outside the U.S., and you know, to be honest, people that live outside of the U.S. or you know, are digital nomads uh, can get some pretty good tax breaks. Uh, so, for example, if you're outside of the United States for 330 days in a 365-day period, uh, you can exclude from your income tax $97,600. Uh, so, basically, you can make $100,000 tax-free uh, if you decide to live and work in Bali or Mexico or, you know, someplace warm and sunny. <laughs> yeah. So is that really the only country in the world that taxes that way? I, I, you know, there's one other country. I think it's a small African nation that has uh, citizen base, citizenship-based taxation as well. Um, but, you know, it, it's nothing like the U.S. system. Well, the U.S. must have predicted then the rise of location-independent and digital nomads <laughs> because I'm sure when the U.S. was creating that 70,000 pages of tax that they had in mind the rise of the Internet. Well, you know, they're, uh, they're big fans of cross-border taxation as long as they get their cut. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I want to go more into uh, detail about tax and perhaps a little bit later, but perhaps I, I can pick up on one of the uh, parts of your story that we had in the pre-chat. And you are the co-founder of Greenback Tax Services and your partner is your wife. And I'd love to hear how that came about. And perhaps you can tell us how you ended up in business with your wife, uh, what it's like working with her. Sure. Um, had, well, Let's see. We were sitting on a beach in Croatia. We were on holiday uh, when we first started kicking around the idea of starting our own business. And uh, you know what we came up with was a list of a hundred business ideas that you know we could, uh, you know, just we thought we could do. And you know, there's some silly stuff on there. You know, things like uh, selling snow cones in uh, Rio de Janeiro, things like that. Um, but you know, as we filtered down the ideas, we, uh, we eventually narrowed it down to the tax business. Um, we've, we're fortunate in that we have complementary skills. So, you know, my wife is a marketing whiz, uh, and you know, that's what she did with American express. That's what she did with, uh, with Barclays. And, you know, my background is in finance and, uh, and in sales. 
So you put it all together, uh, and we had you know the marketing engine, sales, and uh, you know arguably our first bookkeeper. <laughs> yeah. So imagine I'm an app developer who's got an interest in setting up a business in Bali. How would I go about getting residency and then setting up a company? Well, it depends on how long you want to be here. Um, what a lot of people here do, uh, specifically people without kids, I'll say, uh, is they just come and they stay on a tourist visa. So, you know, you come, you can stay for 30 days and you renew your tourist visa for another 30 days. And, you know, then you fly over to Singapore or Thailand or uh, something like that for a couple of days. Then you come back. Uh, you know, once you get to the point where you have kids and you're putting them in school and things like that, uh, you need to explore other visa options. Uh, one of the most popular ones over here is a 12-month business visa. And, you know, that's what a lot of people do. It costs you a couple hundred bucks to get it set up and everything. Uh, but it, it's relatively easy to do. So that sounds like a really cost-effective way of getting a visa. I mean, I've just been in Dubai. I, uh, three years ago, set up a company uh, in one of the tax-free zones. And it was about oh, $5,000 to set up this company. And the reason it was quite expensive is that I needed to rent office space. And it was part of the requirements to have 100% ownership of the company. So that made it a little bit more expensive. But it sounds like what you're saying is that I can set up a, a business for $200. I mean, is that a limited company? No, sorry. That's just to live here. Um... All right. Okay. So you can get a visa for $200. And that would entitle you to be in the country for 12 months. Is that right? Right. Exactly. And then, you know, I don't think a lot of people end up setting up their businesses here, uh, mainly because in Indonesia, you have to have an Indonesian partner that owns over 50% of the business. Uh, so, you know, we're incorporated in Hong Kong and in, uh, and in the U.S. Uh, and I think that's what a lot of people, you know, digital nomads will do is end up either being incorporated in the country they're coming from uh, or they'll be incorporated in a country that's beneficial for them tax-wise. Yeah, I'm just thinking about my own experience. I mean, I ended up incorporating a company in the UAE and uh, it meant that it was one of these tax-free zones which uh, meant that when I imported or exported uh, into Dubai, I would end up having to incur a tax, but it meant that I could be 100% of the owner of that company rather than uh, 50% and then going in with a local partner at 50%, which I really didn't want to do. Uh, so you can set up a company in Hong Kong and it'd be limited and you're then the 100% owner of that. Right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you know, if you're American and you do that, you just have to report that on your U.S. taxes. Uh, but you know, there's advantages to it as well. Um, yeah, if you're incorporated in Hong Kong but you're not working there, uh, yeah, you, you don't end up paying tax to Hong Kong. Uh, so then, as an American, you just have to report your income to the U.S. And if it's a limited company, it can retain earnings within the company. 
Uh, so you can manage your cash flows a little bit easier uh, than running something like an LLC out of the U.S., which would uh, LLC is a limited liability company. And that's what they call a pass-through entity. So the income from the business passes through the business directly onto your tax return. So it's a little bit harder to manage your uh, tax bills as effectively as you could with a you know, Hong Kong, Singapore company, you know, something like that. And how easy was it setting up a company in Hong Kong? Did you need to have a physical presence over there? I mean, is it straightforward? I mean, were you able to do a lot of stuff online? Yeah, it's fairly straightforward. We had to go in person to do the bank accounts. Uh, but you know, setting up the company was fairly straightforward. So to all of you listening, there's an idea for you. Uh, you get your pl- plane ticket right now, fly over to Bali, uh, get David to do all your taxes and uh, have a great lifestyle. Uh, so it must be a thriving community over there, David. It must be a really uh, good place to be an entrepreneur. What is it actually like to be an entrepreneur in Bali? Yeah, I really like it. It's, uh, you know, we're still putting in a good number of hours and everything like that. Uh, but since we lived here last, we've been back here for about eight months now. Uh, before that we were in Argentina, we were in Argentina for about a year and a half. And before that we were here in Bali for again, about a year and a half. Um, and I remember when we first got to Bali, yeah, doing a speed test on, uh, on my computer and then coming back saying I was getting, yeah, something like 12 megabytes per second or, yeah, or not 12 megabytes, 12 kilobytes per second. Uh, you know, barely enough speed to get your, uh, your email. And, uh, now, you know, you can get a solid two megabytes, uh, pretty easily. Um, you know, depending on where you live, uh, but they've got fiber optic networks here. They've got, uh, even speedy, which is the local carrier is a lot better than it was, you know, just two or three years ago. And, uh, yeah, you know, as you as you well know, it really helps having a good internet uh, connection if you're running an online business. Yeah, so I'm currently skyping you from the UK, and I feel like we are falling behind with uh, technology and internet speeds. I mean, I'm lucky; I'm getting a 3G signal, and I'm using that for this Skype call. It's giving me about 20 megabyte download speed, and when I was in Dubai, I was getting 100 megabyte download speed, and that's way faster than my landline here, which gives me about two or three. So I do feel like, yeah, we're, we're perhaps falling behind, and Asia is the uh, where it's all happening, and the infrastructure is, is really getting into uh, shape there. So, David, I wanted to also touch on the fact that you have a virtual team, and I'm really interested in this, and I know others out there who are trying to manage as a solopreneur and indie app developers will be interested as well. Can you explain how you work in a virtual team and work remotely? Sure. Um, If you include Carrie and I, we've got about 30 people on the team right now. Um, And we're spread all over the world. So the majority of folks are in the U.S., but we've got people in Mexico, people in Argentina, uh, people in Europe, people in Australia, people in Asia. And uh, so, you know, we use different systems 
to make all this run as smoothly as possible, you know, both for ourselves and for our clients. Um, you know, one of the systems we use within the management team, you know, to manage all the financial stuff, the marketing, uh, yeah, just the general day-to-day business stuff is called Podio. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of that or used that before. No, I haven't, but I can certainly get a link from you and put that in the show notes after we've finished. Okay. Um, it, it's sort of like a project management system that you can also do messaging through. So you can set up a project and then send all the messages uh, related to that project directly through the system. So you keep a track of everything that's going on. And, you know, when you're working cross-border, you know, different time zones and everything like that, it's really helpful because, you know, you can see the whole chain of everything that's going on. And it really just helps you get out of your email inbox and, uh, you know, just use that system, which is much more efficient. Um, and the nice thing is it ties directly into box.com, uh, which, is the, which is a file sharing platform. So, you know, when we've got you know, big video files and things like that. We can keep them in box, but do all the messaging right through Podio. And, you know, the combination of the two has been, uh, it's, you know, really been a dramatic change for for our business. Are these, David, employees of your company or are they outsourcers? Uh, basically, everybody's a contractor uh, with the business. And, you know, the reason we had to set it up that way when we were starting the company, our lawyer was advising us that if you don't, if you have people as employees rather than as contractors, then you run all sorts of risks in the U.S. You know, if somebody's working from home as an employee and they trip over their kid's roller skate uh, and sue you for having an unsafe work environment. Right. Yeah. So these are contractors and then you can employ them on a contract basis. Yeah, exactly. So you've got this virtual team, and uh, I just wondered how you ended up going about marketing yourself. I know that your wife gets involved in that, but perhaps you can just explain to us how you uh, get clients. Well, you know, there's all different ways. Um, when we first started out, you know, the first thing we tried was uh, Google AdWords, and, you know, that was somewhat successful, and, then we started realizing that if you write good content, you know, things that people can understand, uh, that there's a lot of people looking for it. Uh, so, you know, I think if you went to our blog right now, you'd probably find something like 300 or 350 different articles on, you know, U.S. tax and really trying to just explain it in a way that the average person could understand it. And, you know, really, when we started this business, that was what was lacking. Uh, you know, there are a, a lot of information being published by companies like KPMG that were designed to impress, you know, lawyers and uh, accountants at, you know, Fortune 500 companies. But if you were a location independent person or a digital nomad or something like that, and you're trying to figure out, what or if you had a tax obligation, it was a pretty difficult thing to do. Now, this is the App Guide podcast, and we love talking about apps. And I was a little bit reluctant to actually bring this up because I know in the pre-chat 
that you had two fantastic ideas for apps. And But that would be a little bit hypocritical of me, given that I am an advocate of transparency and love being open and transparent. So perhaps we can go into the app idea that you mentioned, you know, the one where expats living abroad can get help through an app by um, helping them manage their tax affairs. Perhaps you can tell us about that one, David. Sure. Um, well, you know, one of the things that uh, digital nomads or location-independent people can use, um, which I mentioned earlier, is called the physical presence test. So basically, you have to be physically present outside of the U.S. for 330 days in a 365-day period. And, you know, this is how everybody would qualify the first year they're overseas and how a lot of people continue to qualify thereafter. Uh, so, you know, one useful app for people in that situation could be something that tracks your days in the U.S. Uh, and, you know, it just tallies it up for you, keeps it on the phone. Maybe it even sends you a warning if you're getting close to, uh, you know, not being out of the country for 330 days. Well, that is an awesome idea. And if you're an app developer listening to this, then there is a great app idea for you to get stuck into. It's an app where you can count the days that you are outside of a country and the days that you are inside a country. And perhaps it will give a big warning if you're close to exceeding the number of days. And I know that you had another app idea, David, the one with the receipts. Perhaps we can dig into that one a little more. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that would happen if uh, if you ever got audited by the IRS, you'd have to give them copies of all your travel documents. Uh, so, you know, things like hotel receipts or restaurant receipts, you know, things like that, which most, most people don't want to keep with them and, you know, take home to the office, scan it in the office, and then save it on their computer. Uh, but what you could do is have an app on your phone where you just take a picture of, you know, say your hotel receipt and uh, it would save it. Uh, maybe you'd even think to something like box or uh, something like that, but it would save the picture, which would count as proof for, you know, the tax authorities um, with a date stamp and maybe even a location stamp to make it a little bit easier for you uh, to find if you ever had to go back in and find it. Yeah, like an Evernote for tax. I mean, who wants to have the hassle of paper anymore? I know that I just lose all of the receipts I get all the time and would love an app where it was a little bit like Evernote. You could perhaps record the date and time and maybe even the location perhaps with Foursquare. And so if you're in a restaurant, it would know that you're uh, in that restaurant and it would record the uh, establishment that you were in and, and that got that receipt. And, and also it'd be great to have a search function for all those different receipts. So David, that is a great idea. If you're listening and you're an app developer and you want to build that app, then go ahead, please do. But it is David's idea. So <laughs> he... Um, would like you to have uh, the logo Greenback Tax Services on there as well. <laughs> you know, that's two great app ideas, David. And now I was just going to ask you, as we get towards the end of this chat, uh, I am a family man. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I'm back here in the UK and, and left Dubai is because of the cost of schooling over there. And what 
I would like to ask you is what's it like being in Bali when you have a child that's close to school age? Uh, it's actually one of the reasons we moved back here from Buenos Aires. Um, yeah, in Buenos Aires, we would have had to move out to the suburbs and you know, been out of the coffee culture, you know, the cafe scene and everything like that in order to uh, get our son into a good school. Uh, but here in Bali, we've actually got two IB schools, you know, international baccalaureate schools, uh, relatively close to us. Um, and, you know, the fees are reasonable by, you know, U.S. and London standards. Uh, so one of them is called BIS, Bali International School. And, uh, you know, that one I think starts at somewhere around $10,000 a year, uh, which I know most people's jaws just dropped. But uh, for an IB school, it's actually not that bad. Um, and then the other one is the Changu School. And that one... I think the total fees for that one for the kindergarten program are somewhere around $7,000 a year. Um, and then there's also, if you've never heard of it, there's another school called the Green School, which is... Is that affiliated with Greenback Tax Services by any chance? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. It's, uh, it's kind of an alternative school. It's an amazing campus. The, uh, the main school building is a three-story bamboo structure. And, you know, part of the curriculum is, uh, you know, how to be sustainable, how to recycle, uh, all these different kinds of things. Uh, so it's a pretty interesting school as well. There's actually a TED Talk on it. Uh, if anybody wants to look it up. You know, that seems quite reasonable to pay uh, $10,000. I mean, if you uh, look at the UK, for example, uh, we get very used to uh, paying tax in our lives over here. And we don't really appreciate the cost of the schooling because it's hidden in the tax. And so when you start to unbundle all these things that we then uh, don't get taxed for and put the price up there, uh, $10,000 seems pretty reasonable yeah yeah it's a lot of money but when i'm from new york originally and when we talk to people there about the the price of a private education in new york uh you know you're talking forty thousand dollars a year uh or if you want to live in a neighborhood that has good schools you're probably talking about paying property tax of twenty twenty five thousand dollars a year so yeah it, it all adds up <laughs> Well, I said to my wife, why don't we send our kids to the iPad school of university <laughs> and they can do home learning and online uh, tuition and then we can go and be location independent. Um, she wasn't really up for that. Uh, she wants them to go to school, unfortunately. But, you know, we are getting that way and uh, perhaps, you know, learning will become more virtual. I know that there are some uh, companies out of the U.S. in particular that are focusing on online education for kids, uh, home learning. Uh, I think K-12 is one of those companies. And, you know, David, you, you are a real inspiration uh, because a lot of the location independent uh, business people that we listen to nowadays uh, don't have kids. And it's just really nice to uh, hear the story of someone who is doing it uh, with kids. And, you know, it perhaps makes me realize that uh, we shouldn't use our kids as a reason for not doing stuff. It's actually, I think, 
more fun a lot of the time traveling with kids because uh, you know they see things for the first time or they see things uh, with a lot more excitement than you know somebody that travels a lot on their own. Uh, you know, the first time you see a two-year-old looking at an elephant or something like that is just the look on their face is just priceless. It, it's so much nicer, you know, if you can travel somewhere for you know, a month or two months or six months at a time, rather than, you know, most people who dare take a vacation with their kids think about, oh my goodness, you know, you go away for a week or two weeks and, you know, you've got time zones to deal with and all the travel and all this kind of stuff, which is the pain point. But, you know, if you stretch it out, if you can go for a month or two months or more, uh, you know, the amount of pain that you're going through uh, in order to get somewhere like Bali or, you know, something like that to spend two months there is really kind of minimal. So, David, thanks for inspiring us. I know that it's great that we can go out there and set up a company in Bali or Hong Kong or uh, Singapore and be truly uh, location independent. So it's great that you have given me certainly that inspiration and no doubt uh, people listening will take a great inspiration from your story. So how best can we reach out and connect with you? Sure. Uh, well, our website is greenbacktaxservices.com. Uh, so if anybody has tax-related questions or anything like that, uh, you know, we've got a wealth of information on there. Or if anybody wanted to contact me directly, my email is dmckeegan, M-C-K-E-E-G-A-N, at greenbacktaxservices.com. So, David, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for coming on the App Guide podcast. Uh, thanks for sharing all the information that you have. And so I suggest to our listeners now to go and check out the show notes where you can get all those resources. Uh, you can go to onemob.com. That's O-N-E-M-O-B.com and click on podcast, uh, podcasting. And then you can go to uh, David McKeegan's episode and see all the resources and the things that we have with the links there. So, David, I appreciate you coming on. You've inspired me. And it's just great to uh, speak with uh, someone like yourself who's really out there and uh, living a great uh, lifestyle in uh, Bali. So appreciate coming on. We'd love to have you back on. And uh, we will see you in a future episode, hopefully. Great. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you want to be a guest on the show or suggest someone, then please send an email to info at onemob.com. The App Guy podcast goes out every Sunday and Thursdays.